Hey everybody, welcome to Surface Level, curious conversations about the Black and queer experience. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan, and today, Damon, Tony, and I are discussing the roles we play within capitalism. Today's icon is Angela Davis, mm. um, a political activist, a scholar, an author. I want to know, have you all ever experienced a situation where you felt judged or valued based on your material possessions? There was one time that I was, I felt judged when I had my graduated college and got that hardtop BMW <laughs> convertible. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have money. <laughs> so then he asked me, he's like, where do you live? And I was like, oh, I live in Harlem. No lie. He looked at me with a straight face and said, oh, we are not geographically compatible. Oh, you bitches do that now. When I'm, I live in, I could never live in Jersey. I must live in the city. Well, I can't. <laughs> so. Negotiate that offer. See if mm -hmm. you can get more PTO. See if you can get a signing bonus or yeah. bonus, like negotiate the bonus structure. Yeah. See if you can get more in, on salary. Fuck all that, like being nice. Like we could be very nice. I want to show you exactly who I am and how I can communicate. I work well on the team. But when we're negotiating the salary, I don't have to work with payroll and HR every day today. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this is cash rules everything around me. Mm. Mm. It does. <laughs> it really does. You know, I posted something recently that said some people are looking for love, for happiness. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but me, I'm. I'm looking for money. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I saw, I, was that a tease for this episode or it, it was unrelated? Actually, yeah, yeah. I, it just resonated with me That's in true. a way that was like, yeah, I want love and happiness and all that good stuff. But honestly, like they say, money can't buy your class, <laughs> as Luann <laughs> Decepts would say from Housewives of New York. <laughs> But money can provide and make you comfortable, and I want to be comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, today's icon is Angela Davis, mm. um, a political activist, a scholar, an author whose work around gender, race, and capitalism still permeates pop culture conversations. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, speaking of pop culture... I want to play a game with you all about how Angela Davis has influenced pop culture okay. and her she, relationship to pop culture. Let's call, let's she's call a, she's a, a pop girl. She's a pop girl. Since somehow pop, brought Angela Davis into the pop girl. Well, you know, she <laughs> Angela Davis wanted her, you know, her thoughts and ideas to be a part of popular discussion. So, mm -hmm. okay. well, you know. Can we call this Angela Davis did the thing? <laughs> <laughs> Angela Davis did the thing. Oh, <laughs> and that's pop culture for your ass. So Angela Davis's Afro hairstyle symbolized black pride during which cultural and political movement? Was it A, the black power movement, B, the, Af the Afrofuturism movement, or C, the Harlem Renaissance? The black, black power, power movement. Yes. Yay. Unanimous, yes. <laughs> that reminds me of um, when we did our photo shoot back in the day for, I oh, forget, on season... Street. Two, I believe. Season two. Perhaps. Or maybe was it season, season one, one. When we got together in front of the Apollo and did Oh yeah. Our, <laughs> Is it our, because I'm black? Our, our Black Panther moment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Did I have a baby fro at that at that <laughs> point in time? Don't say a baby. Um, um, this whole episode will be about her hair. The question is about afros. Everybody you know look what? at Jordan's new hair. It's <laughs> fabulous, honey. It's fabulous. Shake no. it. Shake it. Stiff wear. Well, it's actually <laughs> up, so you can't really stuck. shake it, you know, right now. <laughs> it's in a chignon. I'm sorry. It's a formal affair. <laughs> you know what? All right. 
Which visual artist created a mural featuring Angela Davis in the artwork titled Freedom? Was it A, Jean-Michel Basquiat, B, Keith Haring, or C, Shepard Ferry? I'm going to go with the Shepard, the third one, because I'm not familiar with that artist, and I don't, I can't think of the other two using Angela Davis in any of their work. You said Basquiat and... Keith Haring. Keith Haring. And Shepard Ferry. I know Keith Haring, not personally, but I like his work. (laughs) I like Basquiat's work, too, but I don't recall seeing Basquiat do anything with Angela Davis, so I'm going to say... Keith Haring, but it's probably that unknown person. No. <laughs> well, well, first of all, Shepard Ferry I'm is kidding, not I'm unknown. Kidding, <laughs> it's Shepard Ferry. You know, I'm, I'm gonna give that to you, Tony. You 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 said it at the end. I, I think answered you, the right. You answered it the right way, and then I think Tony See, at she the biased. end was <laughs> you came around and said, "I think it's Keith Haring," but I actually think it's Shepard Ferry. So I'm just gonna assume that you went with your last answer. The girls playing favorites. <laughs> all right, which popular song paid homage? to Angela Davis. Mm. Was it A, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye? B, Sweet Black Angel by the Rolling Stones? Or C, Changes by Tupac Shakur? I don't think it was What's Going On because that had to do with more of a That was a global thing. A moment. I'm going to say that Sweet Black Angel. Yeah, because Changes. That's just the way it is. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm gonna say it's. I'm gonna say it's the you go, You gonna sing the whole song? <laughs> I'm just making sure. I'm just gonna like, be singing under my breath. <laughs> okay. Like, it, yes. It was Sweet Black Angel. <laughs> so I mean, y'all went three for three. So let's do a tiebreaker. Okay. Okay. Tony, you and get since, three for three. I won already. <laughs> this is what I mean. And since and <laughs> since we are on the topic of songs, let's play the song game. Oh. Okay. Mm. So I'll say a word, and you'll have ten seconds to sing a song with that word in it. Mm-hmm. And the first person who was unable to perform a song in 10 seconds loses. Performance. Tony, I'm going to have you start first. <laughs> Let me get my clock ready. Put the <laughs> clock in front of us. <laughs> oh, I guess you're right. She ain't got her glasses on. She's like, I can't see. <laughs> All right. So, Tony, the word is money. Go. Money can't buy your class. <laughs> <New> <laughs> okay. Also, I was in New York. Demond. Money, 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 money. Okay. Money. Tony. Um. Come on. Um. Money, power, respect. Money, power, respect. Money, power, respect. What you need, like? Okay. Hey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All I need is the money. <laughs> the Cardi B song. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what are the other lines? Bitch, better have my money. <laughs> Y'all can't yes. do it well enough. Um, I don't know. I think we can call it. <laughs> <laughs> the girls are cheating. <laughs> okay, well, I had to be in a tiebreaker for a game I'd already won. Well, listen, it looks like I Tony, demand a recap. Tony's the money girl, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> You have been money deemed girl. the money girl. How do you feel? I love that. I love that for me. Well, you just spoken into existence. You said that yeah. that's what you wanted. That is what I wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to ride that out. We're going to ride that wave. Okay. You know, it's only up here. But they say more money, more problems. Yes, mm. they do say that. And we have a really big problem with Ooh. capitalism. Mm. Don't okay. sound like it. America has a problem. Let's, <laughs> let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. But before we get into like capitalism and all those things i would love to start with everyone's 
formative years. And so thinking back on your family's financial situation, how was that like growing up? And how do you think that that influenced your relationship with money or your outlook on money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the formative years were formative. I feel like I, I thought, and I don't know, you guys may correct me if I'm wrong. Like I was like, at first I was like, I feel I grew up in middle class, but I was like, no, I grew up in working class. Because middle class, I think, requires, it's like folks who have a bit more of education, um, have like maybe gotten some sort of degree. But my family, I, I was really like first generation um, in my immediate family to go to college. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to like growing up and, and money, I although I never felt poor, I felt like... Um, that I was in the middle class, but now I'm coming to understand, I think it was more so working class. Yeah. But you know, I was rich in other ways. I was rich in spirit. <laughs> I was rich in experiences. I was rich in health. Come on, Nene Leakes. You were the very I'm rich very bitch growing rich up. Bitch growing up. So yeah. I never knew the wiser. You know, I never wanted for anything, but I, I did, as I got older and had to understand more about money, it mostly came from my mother for me. Mm -hmm. She taught me everything about how to handle money, how to go about saving. Um, she, she, she used to always quote my grandfather when he would say like, you know, you always want to keep a little nest egg or a little piece of change for a rainy day. And so when I was younger, I used to be like, oh, I'm gonna put all my money in the piggy bank. And then like, as we got older, you know, that idea like there's a piggy bank, but it's not like, 401k and stuff like that exists, but in terms of actually saving like that emergency fund, yeah, um, not not so well, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, not so well. So, but it is, as it relates to like values around money and stuff like that, like on my dad's side, like he's very generous and he's always like, if I got it, you got it. And yeah. I have an aunt on my mother's side, is like, if I ha if I got it, I spend it. <laughs> like you yeah, can't take mm -hmm. it with you that mentality which okay. is because i think people were caught up in like you like that you only live once you don't know how long you're going to be here yeah you spend your money have your fun get what you want and that's a little bit antiquated now because people are living longer we can project that we will have hopefully longer lives so we should be planning differently and and sort of shift that narrative around our values and with money and how we uh, go about, you know, the idea and the process of saving it for a rainy day. I mean, do you feel like, where do you feel like you lean on? Do you feel like YOLO? Or do you feel like you're like, let me put everything in my piggy bank? I think present day. There, there were eras for me. There was the YOLO moments and I had fun in those times. And there still are sometimes where it's like, fuck it, let's have a good time. We deserve. I deserve. However, my mindset recently has shifted with the, the climate of, you know, what's going on in corporate America, which is where I work. There's been a lot of layoffs. Job stability is really non-existent. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and I'm thinking more about, okay, if the bottom falls out and there's a gap between me having a job and trying to look for a new one, I want to make sure that I can still live the same way I'm living currently in that gap period. Mm -hmm. So I'm leaning more towards 
stowing away some money so that I can still sit with you girls. But I, I know y'all got me. Y'all don't, <laughs> right? I got, right? I got, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> she don't what? have a line in her spreadsheet for you. <laughs> First of all, I do have um, a line in my spreadsheet for charitable. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> the ghetto, the ghetto. You got to, you know, social responsibility. You got to make sure. Well, listen, I'll take it. <laughs> Call it what you want. So write me off you gonna be my, if you, I could be your sugar baby. Hello. I'm, oh, I'm not going to. For anyone listening, I am for sale <laughs> because I'm tired. Um, I would say growing up middle class, um, and, and I, I wouldn't say that the working class thing has to do with levels of education. Like my dad had a high school, did, actually didn't even have his high school um, diploma. My mom has a associate's degree, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of built some things on their own. My mom worked in a bank for 40 something years before she retired. My parents um, ended up like my dad went to trade school. They owned real estate and he would like do all the work for these apartment buildings my parents owned. Um, And my parents point of view for us growing up was that they grew up on the West side of Chicago with nothing. And they wanted for us to focus on having the experience of being kids up until working. So, like, I never had a job mm-hmm. in high school. I never had to work in college. My parents, for any of us that wanted to go, paid for our undergrad. Yeah. Um, because yeah. they wanted you, us you middle to. middle class, baby. Yeah, so, they wanted <laughs> us to have the experience of not having to. Like, like a lot of times I think people, which is like, I struggled and I had to work at the grocery store to pay my way through school. And that built character. I'm sure it did. And I think that there are healthy ways that your parents and my parents at least were able to teach us um, to value people, relationships, and experiences Mm -hmm. void of money. So I think now as an adult, I find how much money someone, like if I'm developing friends or relationships, I find that to be the least interesting part of someone. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why I've always hated when people are like, oh, what do you do? Um, Mm -hmm. And when we Mm -hmm. get to conversations like that, or even conversations we've had on this show about people we would date and what... Um, where they fall in a uh, in the economic scale and like mm-hmm. what factors that does or doesn't play into you being interested in those people. And I think that growing up with money not being the focus, I, I, I don't like on when we when it gets to the list of things I evaluate in a person, like it's either non-existent or very far, far down. Like I think if you are reckless with how you're spending in a way that harms both our ability to, I don't know, keep a roof over our head or something. That's where we have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, I, I don't know. I always say, I fucking hate money. I, I, it's so gross. It makes human <laughs> beings be gross. Like it, like you get tied into working and spending so many fucking hours doing shit you don't have passion for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. That's that's how I feel about it. I think the the more time I spend as an adult where so much of my time and energy is focused on the thing that I have to make money in order to like keep the roof over my head and blah, blah, blah. It just becomes exhausting and it makes me dislike it more. Mm. Isn't there a quote that says like money is the root of all evil? It's a, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the scr- love of money is the root of yes, all evil. Yes, it's a scripture. You know, I'm not a religious girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's from the Bible? Yes. Oh, I Look thought that. that. You and know, it's 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 specific that you have to say the love the of love money because people always think it's just money is the root of all. But no, it's the love of money is the yeah, root of all. Evil. I could see that. I can see that. But also, I mean, it goes coming back to like that middle class, working class. Like I I need I didn't do enough 
reading um, to understand fully. Like I was like, what is the difference really? I want to understand that so that I can know what you were. Um, and I don't, I, I still got to go back and look at that. Um, because even though I, I have had some privilege, I still, in comparison to our white counterparts, mm-hmm. their middle class ain't look like our middle class. No, that's a different thing. Um, <laughs> and so their working class was probably our middle class, um, which you experienced. Like it was for them a working class. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting yeah thing too to just go back and do some homework for when, myself. Well, I had the same thought, Tony, when I was thinking about this question because I didn't know where like my family sat on the scale either. So up until I was about ten years old. Um, I lived in the same house as my grandmother, my aunt, my cousin, and my mother and I, we shared the same um, bedroom until I was 10, until we moved out. And then I shared a bedroom with my cousin. But I never felt like I wanted for anything. Like, we were at Red Lobster, we were at Olive Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I went to a private high school, um, similar to Damon. My mom was very clear with me when I when I got to high school that um, she had been planning financially for me to be able to go to whatever college I wanted to go to if I was accepted into it. Mm-hmm. And she would figure out the money situation. Um, but there weren't a lot of frills, um, which was an issue for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, this is not right in here. I watched a lot of TV growing up, and I was the, and I and I wanted she things. wanted to be adopted by Daddy Warbucks. I wanted, you know, I wanted my little gadgets, and I wanted like I we didn't really do family trips at all. Mm-hmm. I, I remember us maybe going to like the Poconos one time, which if you're living in New Jersey, that's like a little car ride. But um, you know, I I just felt like I wanted to go to Disney World. I would have loved to go to Disney World. I went there for my senior trip, but that was different. I got to redo it. But I do remember specifically when I was younger, um, I asked my mom if she could take me to Taco Bell. And she was just like, we don't have Taco Bell money. Mm -hmm. I was about eight years old. And so I didn't like that. (laughs) It was the summertime. And so what I did is I made these paper accordion fans. Do you know what I'm talking about when you take like a loose like piece of paper and, and you, you like, you keep folding it into like yeah. different columns and then you staple or like adhere it at the bottom and then you can just, it's a manual fan. It's uh-huh. like you could just use it like that. I made about a dozen of them and I went up and down the street and I sold them um, to for about a, <laughs> for like a dollar or two. He said, I'm going to have some Taco Bell money. And I came back home and I said, I have Taco Bell money. <laughs> oh, <bitch>. <laughs> <laughs> I was going she beat your ass. I'm, I'm sure, sure she, she did. She took me to Taco Bell. <laughs> saying embarrassing me on the street. <laughs> Acting like you, I can't feed my child. First of all. <laughs> I think we, 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 Teresa coming back home for parents don't understand. I didn't tell three. the people that I was selling fans to that I was doing this for Taco Bell. I actually had a pitch that was like, it's a hot day and this fan can help you. But um, <laughs> It's just a scammer. Uh, it wasn't a scammer. It was a very viable product and it wasn't, oversold, it wasn't overpriced. But... Um, um, I think the value that I learned <laughs> very early on was that, like, if I wanted the things that I desired out of life, that I would have to work for it. And I felt like I learned that relationship very early on. Like, I was like eight or eight years old or so. And so after that, like, I sold candy in middle school. Um, and then when I was working age or eligible to work, I got a job immediately, similar to mm-hmm. your parents, Demond. Mm-hmm. My mom did not want me to work at all. She just wanted me to be in school and just like not have to worry about being in the workforce. Yeah, I was just like, I don't, 
you don't give me enough allowance for you to have that type of <laughs> thought. So I worked. Um, but yeah, I think that I, at a very young age, um, I looked at money as the means for me to be able to um, have the type of experience that I wanted. And I figured that out through working. And so that's mm -hmm. how I built a work ethic at the very tender age mm -hmm. of eight. Um, what, you you know, what you desire, you deserve. Yeah, Taco Bell money. Well, you made it happen. Listen, we we got Taco <laughs> Bell money, okay? Um, but let's let's look a little bit um, a little bit more present day uh, in capitalist societies. Demond, you kind of touched on touched on this. Wealth is often associated with material possessions that serve as status symbols. So where you work, all of those type of things, like the type of car you drive. I want to know, have you all ever experienced a situation where you felt judged or valued based on your material possessions? Hmm. <laughs> you know, when I was, I was thinking about this question, I kept thinking, I, I work in the fashion industry, and I kept thinking about, and the devil wears Prada, and he's just like, that's what this multi-trillion dollar in industry is about, inner beauty. <laughs> <laughs> and not, not that I worked in, um, like, magazines or any, uh, publishing or anything, but I think when I first started working, no matter where you are in the fashion industry, they don't pay you shit. And I would look around and everybody's like summering in Cape Cod or they're going to the Hamptons and all the girls are like carrying their laptop in a Vuitton bag. And every, like, I'm just like, is somebody else getting paid more? <laughs> and even if they were, what I didn't realize and I, I, when I was researching, uh, and I wanna just make sure I get the right number sorry but i was looking thinking about the wealth that people come into this with and i was looking at the average wealth of a white family versus a black one mm -hmm. the average wealth of median wealth of a white family is one hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars versus a black family is 24. Oof. Mm -hmm. so so many of these people that i've worked with come from a level of means where when they're going to the hamptons it's because their parents own the house right or mm -hmm. like living in new york like we all, particularly black professionals, many of us are first generation students in our first jobs that where you live, you got to make it. It is now your money. Ain't no more Taco Bell money from your mama. And we all live in Harlem. And then everybody else I work with was like, yeah, I live in the West Village on the Upper East Side. Mm -hmm. But like people live in either a rent stabilized apartment that their grandmama's had since 1920 <laughs> or some they live in like the basement apartment because their parents own the brownstone. And there was all this shit that I did not understand. Yeah. And as it started to come into focus, I was just like, huh, unless I kill myself trying to compete with that, I'm just like, mm, I got to do something different. Yeah. And what I decided to lean into and, and the thing that I always value the most is style versus fashion. Like I work in this industry where presenting yourself and making sure you understand style and the complexity of wardrobe is important. But I was just like, OK, I'm going to do it through. Uh, a lens that shows more flair than shows me just um, going and buying the latest designer thing and trying to flex on everybody in the office. Mm. And I found that as a black person, as a person that grew up in Chicago, that went to Howard, that lived in Harlem at the time, like my level of style and the way I expressed myself, no matter how much money I was buying, made me more interesting, made people listen to me when I talked about it. And it's 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 the thing that even when younger people that want to come into this industry now, particularly people of color, ask, like, like, what do you think is important? And I'm just like, being fucking you. Mm -hmm. Like, 
we've seen our style and our 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 flair stolen and repurposed by these companies a million times. So if you can come into wherever you are, either independently or in an organization and have it and show it authentically, I think it makes you stand out more. And that to me became the thing that I would focus more on. And yeah, there are moments where I've like bought myself a nice thing. Um, But like that nice thing is a part of, I would say the, a building block versus like a fake aesthetic I'm trying to buy. Um, but yeah, I was so confused by those fucking rich kids. And I'm like, are, are y'all, Mm-mm-mm. even if y'all are making twice my salary, I'm like, something <laughs> is not napping here. But yeah. It's funny because when I think about style and people who have money, it's always the people who are putting on like they have so much and are flashy and over the top that really probably don't really have it like they mm-hmm. are putting on to have. And a lot of those people are, they don't have style. They're just like tacky to me. <laughs> it's like, it's like, girl, you, I don't, it's, it's when you put on label from head to toe, that doesn't mean you have style. That doesn't even mean you have money. It means you walked in a side somewhere and bought a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that whole thing always trips me up because people go for, flashy and label and you know they want to put on a facade that they like they have so much money and it's just like who is that for it's also like don't let people that work in my industry fool y'all because half these niggas get free clothes mm-hmm. hello i have so many free expenses people you have all the i'm like 80 percent of the shit i have was free yeah. and i don't even work in like especially the girls that work in like publishing and so you get so much free stuff so like don't be chasing the fashion girls because the fashion girls are not buying that shit. Mm-mm. Listen, I did an interview at a fashion publishing company and <laughs> they, did, they wouldn't even see me. <laughs> I think it was because I had the wrong clothes on. Perhaps. Probably. Yeah, they came out and they were just like, are you Jordan? I was <laughs> no, like, didn't yes. that bitch. <laughs> I was so excited. And then she walked out and she walked and she came back. She said, unfortunately, we're going to uh, we're gonna have to reschedule your um your interview. They're, they're no longer, um they're now busy in a different meeting right oh now. Oh my God never emailed me back again and i have wow. to assume it was my outfit they were like he didn't dress the part <laughs> therefore that's rude <laughs> it's very good, rude. i definitely take a very short interview with a very poorly dressed person and send them home Mm-mm. and i wasn't even poorly <laughs> dressed i think in hindsight i just feel like i was maybe uh <laughs> pedestrian no i thought i was giving my best but <laughs> we'll find the photo i actually wore like a pink shirt with like a Ooh. it was very colorful maybe that was the issue I don't Maybe. know. It might have had something to do with it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't pass the test. <laughs> but no, when it comes <laughs> to being judged for uh, material, like material possessions or um, where you live, I think that's part of it too. Is like where you live, people judge you by. Mm-hmm. Like when I went moved down south um, from New York to Virginia, that was a thing because people are like, "Y'all are coming down here from Virginia." It's like your high society. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all got y'all got it like that. Y'all have money. Y'all so have... Like we were in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. I was like, I'm in the Bronx, you know. So I've I've dealt with judgment intern like in, when I say internally, I'm thinking from family members and also um, from strangers as well because people come up to their own conclusions and narrative based on what you look like, how you dress, how you present yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like where how I was raised, you when you walk out the house, you put yourself together. You make sure yourself is that you're presentable. 
Um, and so if, if that means to others that you've got some sort of like money or things, it's like, no, I'm just, I've just been taught to take care of myself. And when I enter society, I need to look a certain way. Um, one, there was one time that I was, I felt, I felt judged. I don't know if it was by friends, but maybe by strangers or even some family members when I had my graduated college and got that hard top BMW <laughs> convertible. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have money. <laughs> it was a gift to myself from for getting through all these years of school. And I was just like, I want this. I was like 20 something, 22, 23, mm. 21. I don't know. And I think people saw that on social media. Was it starting to become a thing? And like family members seeing that and them thinking, you know, mm-hmm. whatever they're thinking in their head. My mom knew the real deal, Holyfield, and so did closer family. But I had an uncle that was like, go for it. <laughs> 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 like, get what you want. And so it was that that was in my head. And I was like, I'm going to get what I want. I deserve. But I did feel kind of like judged for having a material possession. Um, and even as a kid, when I had like, I, I would get like a, the PlayStation for Christmas and the school back to school clothes shopping with, um, my family and, you know, wearing nice things and feeling like I was being judged for having those things. Um, and it, a lot of that taught me that at the end of the day, I really don't place a high value on material possessions or material things. I think people get so caught up on things that they f- they forget more like of the humanity, the human aspects of people and individuals and experiences and getting to know folks. They get caught up on how you look. You can't hang out with me if you don't look a certain way, if you don't mm-hmm. have the latest this or that or gadget or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And those folks I feel are are shallow and you know fuck those people yeah i do <laughs> so i think i've i've gotten through my own experiences a, a greater sense of understanding that material things aren't everything mm-hmm. i mean absolutely however <laughs> <laughs> i just want to put a little footnote on your answer <laughs> but and it was real cute riding around that <laughs> drop top when we was 22. I, I, I did have a good time. Listen, I'm like, Tony, let the top down. Let the top down. Let the top down. Let's, let's actually circle the party first and then park. When I said earlier, rich in experiences, that's what I meant. Because I wasn't rich. But we did have an experience. We definitely had an experience. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I want to go back to like the neighborhood thing. Because that's such a common thing in New York. Like People ask you, where do you live? So that they can get an idea for how... How much your household income might be or how much you might be spending for rent or if you own and blah, blah, blah. I remember being invited by a white colleague to this like gay house party in mm-hmm. Soho. Mm-hmm. I immediately was just like, okay, like I need <laughs> to brace myself for this. Like these are about to be some you know, high, some, high class some, gays. Some, some some white Hampton gays, like, but in <laughs> Soho, mm. I get to the I get to the condo. It's gorgeous. It's a duplex with a private rooftop terrace, like mm. right on like Prince Street. Like I'm literally like I walk past it all the time. Mm. But I was like, oh, who lives here? This person did. Um, and there's maybe like one other black person there at the whole party, not including the person that I brought uh, I brought with me. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm just like, okay, this is this is awkward, whatever. I ended up making conversation with this uh, with this guy who was kind of cute. You know, we was flirting a little bit and stuff like that. And for some reason, he decided to start showing me photos of his like renovations in his apartment. Oh, um, I'm looking at the pictures in his phone. I'm like, this is a really. I'm not saying this to him, but I'm like, this is a really, really like big space like it looks like a big loft space i'm just like this is a lot so then he asked me he's like where do you live no like, oh i live in harlem no lie he looked at me with a straight face and said oh we are not geographically compatible oh that is crazy to me i completely gagged and so i was just like okay and he literally walked away. Wow. Um, but, and that's not even the craziest part. It's because, like, whatever. I'm like, whatever. I'll talk to my co- my coworker who invited me there. Like, I'll, I'll talk to like my friend who I brought as a, a you know as my like buffer for the whole situation. Mm-hmm. The guy comes back around hours later at the party and like strikes up a conversation with me. Asked me where I live again. Stop. I think he was really <laughs> like. I think he was on the smack. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. I think the party was above him now. <laughs> but um, he asked me again. He said it again. He said, "Oh, we're not geographically um, compatible." We're not geographically compatible. And what did I'm, you say the second time? I actually, I actually, first of all, I would have. I think I would have pulled the ox out. I think at that tension. at that second time, he was actually kind of unhinged. Like he was just kind of like. People was looking, the, the host was looking at him like, I think he was being disorderly and stuff like that. But I... But that I, ge- that I, geographic thing is so real. Like the mom was saying, when my family down south, think, you know, they, they are like, y'all are from New York, big time. Mm-hmm. And the mom's like, you live in the Bronx. When, when I used to tell people that I lived in the Bronx when I was here living in New York. I remember that. People would be like, oh. And I would be like... What's wrong? I said I live in the Bronx, <laughs> not you. Even like we had, to, we had to coach the girls when they used to come over. Like no, 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 none of that. We're not shaming people. Or like when I say I'm from New Jersey, they're like, oh Jersey, and I'm just like, please, like everyone, it's, calm down. So I don't know. People have that's some unlearning. That's a thing that I I would challenge folks to do when people have that like visceral reaction or response to someone being from wherever they are. Whether it be somewhere that's outer city or a small town somewhere, and they're like, "Oh, you're from Kansas City," like my friend Aaron, our friend Aaron, and people have that reaction. How can I don't? I want to figure out how we can. Chow, I don't like, know, but you bitches do that now. When well, I, I live, in, I could never live in Jersey. I must live in the city. Oh, I was like, bitch, I don't well, see that. I can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you the same bitch you talking about. So don't be no, here. No, 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 no. It's, not, let's act all, it's, it's, all it's different. It's very different. I'm sure those people had the same reasons too for saying that. No, 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 no. Let's let's be very clear, Damon. <laughs> it's very different. Me saying where I want to live is different than me saying I can't be friends with you because you live there. So let's you let's talk where about you want that. to live is different than you saying where you cannot live. Hmm. Where when you say it's the same thing if saying I like something versus actively saying you don't like something because when you actively project that you don't like something you're looking down on someone else. 
No, yeah, I'm so not I, think, I think it's the same thing we had when we had the conversation around fat phobia. When we said there's a difference between saying I like this body versus I can never have that body. So it's the I same. Think, no, it's no, the same no, 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 no. I think that this conversation is, is is we're we're now in a lot of different no, directions. No, we're not. I think it's a, I think it's about thinking about the verbiage you use when you're describing what you like. And when you describe something you like by telling someone else what you don't like, that is where it becomes a little offensive. I didn't bring but up. I, don't know, the, like, I, don't I didn't bring up. Not said that be... he doesn't like Jersey. I think he said I yeah. have to live in the city. No, he said I could not live in Jersey. I have to live in the city. Whatever, whatever the word. I'm from New Jersey, so let's start there. <laughs> That's okay? Exactly. So, so and, and second of all, I want to just make it very clear. I I want to stay in the city because I like the convenience of the city, mm-hmm. and a lot of people that I know are interested in moving to New Jersey because there's more space. I don't need a lot of... Greenpoint. It is not convenient. Huh? What did you say? Greenpoint? Greenpoint is not convenient. That's the place where I remember this conversation. Greenpoint is convenient. Greenpoint is in, is in Brooklyn. To a lot of things. I don't live any further from anything else than Brooklyn is. If you wanted to take public transportation, you're not on the MTA. You, can, mm. you don't have to be on the MTA. The path comes into the city. I understand how the train it connects is, to the MTA. It's listen, no different I'm than taking the to, train to Brooklyn. I'm, I'm not. I'm not about to negotiate with you on what I find to it's be convenient. About, but what I'm saying is like right, your convenience lot, is different for but the individual. But so. convenience in describing the train system is no different. You're, you transfer. It is different. How? What are you talking about? How? If you lived right at the train at Grove Street, what time does the path the close? Never. It actually does not. Don't you have a curfew of when no, you need to get to New Jersey? It doesn't. That's if the I Holland drive there. Oh, the Holland issue. Tunnel. There's a curfew. That's different. Yeah. You don't have a car. We're talking about the MTA. Okay. Well, there's a lot. There's a there's a lot of different things you have to consider when you travel. You even talk about it too. You don't come into the city as often. Well, yeah. If I, I don't come outside that often. But that's what you like. Okay. Well, I just want to make it, I just want to make it clear <laughs> that there is nothing wrong with New Jersey. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. Demond lives in New Jersey. You have a lovely place. I personally would love to stay in the city because I like the convenience of getting to my my job in 20 minutes and I being get to around. my job in 20 minutes from where I live. Well, good for you. I don't work at the same place as you. You, We work on the same stop. You could get to your job from my house in 20 minutes. We work on the same stop. It's the same train station, bitch girl. <laughs> <laughs> like what I'm saying to you is that like everybody, I get so tired of y'all talking to me as if I, li- I moved to Trenton. Like New Jersey is a state, not a city. And we talk about it as like where I live as if with this condescension from the city. I don't know if it's condescension. It's so much not. condescension. Because you, because you actually, I live closer you, to my job now than I ever did you, in Harlem. And y'all talk to me about convenience. You yourself too, as, with you being in Jersey, uh, when it comes to doing things, I think that you're less likely to... You don't. You okay. invite me to fewer things. So don't, don't tell me about no, what I'm less You're talking about moving back to the city. That's proximity, girl. You're talking about moving that back to the proximity. city. I'm talking about how. Why do you want to move back to the city? Because my friends treat me like I moved to fucking Botswana because I live in Jersey. Oh, now so it's now, pro- it's, I, it's now it's now it's our friends' fault. It's proximity. How about Please. that, bitch? I don't. I don't. I don't invite Jordan to any more things than I invite you to. And I live nine minutes walking distance That's away from Tony. Jordan don't go nowhere. That's different. Me and you went more places. That's an excuse for everything. I'm just saying, I know the truth. You don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to capitalism. Back to capitalism. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about work a little bit more. Um, capitalism often exploits the labor of minority populations for financial gain. Uh-huh. And consistently, we see that black workers are, pay- are paid less than their white counterparts, despite having the same level of experience or um, the same credentials. How does this wage disparity impact the way that we navigate our corporate careers? I think with the wage disparity, uh, we all know it exists. 
I think having more knowledge about the actual numbers, being more open and transparent and talking to friends about what they make, people who are maybe mentors, people who are higher than you, um, that you have a relationship with, asking like, what's the number I should be asking for when I get this offer? Yeah. If you have any white friends or, or folks that you are cool with in the workplace, ask them questions about what you should be asking for, even if they are your peer, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, not someone who's... Counterpart? Like yeah, like basically yeah. your counterpart. Yeah. If, even if they're your counterpart, ask them what they, you know, what's in the ballpark range of what they're asking for, so mm -hmm. that you can see if what you're asking for or where you're at is comparable. I think that we have to be smart in that way and we have to not be like sitting on our hands or holding our tongue when it comes to money because if we don't have that information and if we're not asking for it, we'll never know. We'll always be a step behind. And then as we get that information, don't be a gatekeeper. Share it, especially with other black and brown folks who are trying to do the same thing you are and navigate these spaces. Um, and always just a negotiation tip in terms of navigating these spaces is when you get an offer, always negotiate that first offer. Um, making sure that, again, you're asking the right questions. I think people don't ask enough questions. And then when people, I've seen it far too often, and we've, we've talked about this, where us, our community, black folks, will have information and will sit on it and not not they they some folks like being the only black person mm -hmm. that's their claim to fame they want to hold on to something for them and it's at the detriment to the rest of the community tony when you when you talked about negotiating and stuff like that that brought an idea to my mind because i think going into the workforce it was kind of established for me that like black people have to work twice as hard. And I adopted that. Mm -hmm. And I and I went in thinking like, okay, I'm going to combat racism with excellence. Like <laughs> I'm just gonna be great. Like I'm not gonna make a big stink if they give me the first um the first offer and it's, you know, so, like, I didn't even know. The first offer, I actually thought that I was rich. So <laughs> I, I'd never seen that much money. Very rich. And I moved into a luxury building. I was like, yeah, I, actually... I ain't going to Taco Bell. I'm going to Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> With extra guac. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, for the first, like, eight years of my life, I think that I navigated the workforce thinking, like, I just need to do the best and the most. Mm -hmm. And so I was volunteering for ERGs. I was doing work on nights and weekends. I was not necessarily making a big point to um, advocate for um, for a raise or to um, play hardball in a negotiation for an offer. Honestly, I felt like I was kind of taking on this idea, like I'm just thankful that I'm here because I mm -hmm. know that a lot of people who look like me don't even get to the interview. Mm -hmm. And I think that it wasn't until um, about like the 10 year mark in my career where I actually felt confident and feeling like, okay, I can push back on these people and say something. But it took me a while, even with people telling me like, you should negotiate, you should go in there mm -hmm. like, in the moment, that never happened for me. I was just mm -hmm. so intimidated by having that conversation. Yeah. And um, I think that, you know, now I look at things and I'm 
a lot more rigid with um, the way that I navigate corporate America. Right. Um, I'm very strict about nights and weekends. I do not do them. Um, I do not take on extracurricular work for no pay. And um, think about how these things we've learned, right? Think about, again, those coming after us that we can help impart some of this wisdom so that they have it easier. They, right. they know mm -hmm. out the gate, like even your first job, when you feel like I'm rich, negotiate that offer. Mm -hmm. See if mm -hmm. you can get more PTO. See if you can get a signing bonus or yeah. bonus, like negotiate the bonus structure. Yeah. See if you can get more in, on salary. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I love having that hindsight mo moment mm -hmm. because then we get to say like those who who we are mentoring and are coming up behind us. I don't, I believe that. Where did we just go? <laughs> where did we just go? Bring back gatekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're not those girls that want to actually gatekeep this yeah. kind of information. And mm -hmm. so I feel mm -hmm. like we're going, we're those people that will pay it forward in the best ways. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Like I, I, I talked to, I, I built a pretty good relationship with um, a summer intern, um, black woman, incredibly smart, incredibly valuable, D did a lot for the company to like implement some things while she was in her internship. And I am just so proud at the way that she negotiated her offer coming in full time. Mm -hmm. She came in, she was, she let them have it. Her foot was on their neck. Yes. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, how is this going to play out for you? But I'm like, I'm obviously not saying this because I don't want to like deter any of her confidence, but I'm just like, wow, like at the intern level, what does that mean? I, I later found out that her, um, her father's a lawyer, but mm -hmm. like, imagine if, you know, our first generation, um, mm -hmm. you know, black workers entering into the workforce had that sort of resource right. at home to like give them the confidence and the language to be able you, to yeah. like. From, from that point on, oh, it's yeah. like you, when you're starting here, it's up from here. Yeah. And she said that. She was just like, my starting salary, my first full-time job has to be at a certain point because if not, then I'm constantly going to be trying to close the wage gap yeah. and I want to make sure that I close it as much as possible for, before I even start. So I love that, you know, we are having younger, you know, Gen Z uh, who are, have a bit more resources or a bit more language around it and yeah. that we can sort of give our, our knowledge, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a challenge always, I think, to speak up in those situations where you feel like you're one of the only there. Yeah, I think about the conversations that I have, particularly with black people that I work with, women, other queer people, mm -hmm. and there's always this conversation around like, well, should I ask for this once I've done this, or I'm going to do this work to prove this? And I was just like, y'all know we're the only people that's thinking that. And <laughs> and I, I go back to, and I'll just end here because I think you all have hit a lot of the points. The initial salary is for the experience that you bring to the organization. It's non-negotiable. It should be as high as anybody there. Anything you any work you do from there is for that continued employment and you will never get more money than when you're initially joining an organization or joining a new one yeah. versus any raise or promotion you get from all the fucking labor you put in there. Mm -hmm. So think about that shit up front because that is the big swing. Mm -hmm. And I've fuck all that, like being nice. That, like we could be very nice. I want to show you exactly who I am and how I can communicate. I work well on a team, but when we're negotiating the salary, I don't have to work with payroll and HR every day to day. So let's go. <laughs> let's right. fight, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. So I'm going to end here. Yeah. Um, so Angela Davis, 
She's been a vocal critic of capitalism since the 1970s, advocating instead for a, uh, a more social economy um, that places a focus on the society as a whole. So we know that capitalism isn't going to stop tomorrow yeah. or because of this, you know, this one hour episode. But how do we think that we can begin moving away from individualism and embrace a more community driven approach to economic growth? Uh, I feel like we as a community, black folks, need to band together and have an all for one, one for all mentality, which we don't have. Everyone's out for themselves. And when they got it, they're good. And it's just like, you know, I'm going to be good over here in our little pocket. Like they struggling, but you know, let, let them struggle. Like that's, that's, we gotta, we gotta preserve what we got over here. It's kind of like that scarcity model of moving in, out of, out of lack mm -hmm. um, instead of operating in abundance. And I, I, with that, we need to be buying black. We need to be pouring back into our communities. We need to be consuming our own content. We need to be, uh, supportive of each other's projects and if we're going to buy black and if we're going to support each other and if we're going to do all of those great things we also need to show up with a level of care and delivering quality content service whatever it is mm -hmm. if i want to buy black i, I do want to buy black but yeah, when i black. buy it i need you to <laughs> i need you to right deliver yeah i want the same quality experience that i'll get anywhere else and with that, I have just a few stats to go along with this. I'm digital today, ladies. Oh. We're, we're, we're in a new age now. So <laughs> I found this on businessdit.com, and it says that black consumer buying power is projected to reach $1.8 by this year, 2024. The media consumption of black consumers is 13.4% higher than the national average. Black people were 42% more likely to respond to mobile ads than the rest of American population. And compared to 26% of the population, 52% of black people find in-store shopping relaxing. What does that tell you? We got a lot of buying power. And with that buying power, let's buy black. <laughs> right now. <laughs> No, I, I, and that's the good news. That, and that's the good news. <laughs> um, I bought black. It's a black owned brand. I love that. Um, it's called Every Nigga Deserves. End. Oh. oh. Yeah. See, I saw that. I thought it was in clothing, the yeah, UK. The uh, back of my shirt says, I think it says Every Nigga Deserves Peace. Or I like that. that. Um, I've worn some of the other stuff on here before. But anyway, the, the, the point that I want to make is, one, I hate capitalism. And it, it exhausts me more and more every day. And what I think about, like, we all have to be in some type of, let's say, system to have some level of um, order in the world, some rules we agree to for sharing goods and eating and so on and so forth. And I think the goal of capitalism and, like, the goal of any system should be to protect the people in it. The goal of capitalism is to protect the system, the system itself. And I think that system is often focused around weeding out inefficiency. And the most inefficient thing in any economic system are people. We're... Like, we have all our personalities, we have all our quirks, we want to learn this, we don't want to learn that. And I think that instead of refocus, in, excuse me, in refocusing um, the system around, like, what people need, I think that that focus on efficiency should change. It's not just efficient to make more money or do be quicker at work or so on and so forth. It should be efficiency in how we find better ways to be kinder to the environment. We should find more ways in how we can provide health care in a more sustainable way to people. It's about finding ways in which more people than we look at communities that are living below the poverty line and how we can utilize the skills in that community in a way that 
helps lift those individuals um, as well and doesn't just make more money for a tight few at top mm-hmm. um, and or does it require a system that doesn't require going into hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to go to school if maybe that's not the the route that you want to take there should be more means and um, ways in which you can access um, stability in your life and yeah. I think that that to me has consistently been the issue I have with capitalism like it's it's about just protecting the system making more money for the bottom line protecting mm-hmm. the company more so than it being a system that just creates some level of peace in the world and like makes all this shit not melt down um, <laughs> yeah it kind of it's, it's unfortunate that um, GDP which is our system to evaluate the value of different um, companies is purely on our ability to make a profit and it has no like there's nothing included that talks about like the quality of life right. of the people who live in it. It's mm-hmm. truly just down to what is the profit. Yeah. Um, that the that the and that's what everybody's racing for is like yeah. who has the best GDP. Yeah. Um, so I hundred percent agree with that. Um the the one thing that I'll end on is just talking to the uh the people who exist in corporate spaces and who are at the place in their career where they have decision making power and potentially budgeting power is um not only um supporting minority owned businesses when you're working on projects and things like that but also really being um a leader in pay equity so i'll just give a really really quick example um i was working on a project where we uh we we reached out to a bunch of creatives to ask them to provide us rates to participate in this creative project. I'll say that almost every white creative um, presented a figure that was larger than the budget that we had and fiercely negotiated their their fee. Um, I remember specifically one black um, woman creative gave us a rate that was so low and completely undervalued the quality of the art that she produced that um, I ended up going to my superior and saying, like, I want to bring them four times up past their their fee. And I think that in some instances, companies, they reward you for saving money. You know, I think that a lot of people will see that fee as an opportunity to be like, oh, yes, like, mm-hmm. we can do this for less. And, like, I'll, I'll be a hero because I was able to get this project off the ground for 20% less than they, the budget and – Blah, 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 I'll get a gold star. But um, that's not, you know, we need to be more social with these things. And we need to make sure that we're like paying people equitably and we're making sure that we're being transparent about those things. It's just, it just really, it just really bothers me that so many of our people um, either don't know or don't feel comfortable negotiating fee because they're just happy to be there and be considered. And I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we're educating them to Tony's part, not gatekeeping this information, but letting them know like, hey, you actually, your market value is so much more than that. And I'm going to set this as your fee. And I want you to make sure that when you're talking to any other company, anything less than this is taking advantage of your, your, your work. And so um, with that, that is all the time that we have this week. This season of Surface Levels presented by Moby, Mobilizing Our Brothers Initiative. If you enjoyed this episode, let's keep the conversation going. Let us know your thoughts and questions at surfacelevelpodcast.com. And remember, stay curious.